1: You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On Podcast. Catch us live weekdays at 1 Eastern on Bloomberg.com, the iHeartRadio app, and the Bloomberg Business app. Or listen on demand wherever you get your podcasts. News that could have a major
2: impact on the Republican primary trail. Or not, because we're talking about Donald Trump. Either way, it's quite a headline. Donald Trump classified documents trial set for May 20, 2024. May 20? A moment after Super Tuesday with some pretty big states that will be voting that week like Georgia. U.S. District Judge Eileen Cannon set the date following a closely watched pre-trial hearing earlier uh, in the month. While prosecutors will not be able to try the case this year, Cannon's move is a significant setback for Donald Trump. He had asked her to set no trial date as he navigates various trials pending criminal probes and his presidential campaign and wanted to do this after the election. And so the former president was asked on a radio show in Iowa, this is the Simon Conway show, about what would happen if they put you in jail, his answer.
3: I think it's a very dangerous thing to Mm -hmm. even talk about uh, because we do have a tremendously passionate group of voters. And I mean, maybe, you know maybe 100 150 i've never seen anything like it mm-hmm. much more passion than they had in 2020 and much more passion than they had in 2016 i think uh, it would be very
2: dangerous It'd be very dangerous he says we're going to get into this in a few moments with rick and genie but we first have some time with dave Ehrenberg, which is great on a day like this the palm beach county state attorney is back with us here on Bloomberg Sound On, and Dave, I do appreciate your time. I I don't think you believed the initial trial date. Do you believe this one? Well,
4: it's good to be back with you, Joe. I think the uh, trial date is pretty decent. I think it could last, but I never believed it was happening in December. I never believed that. Judge Cannon would postpone it beyond the election all at once, what I think could happen is, as I've been calling it, death by a thousand paper cuts, where she sets it in May and then gives Trump an additional delay here and there. Pretty soon you can't have it before the election and Trump gets what he wants. And at that point, it's hard for her to get reversed. Had she given Trump everything he wanted and postponed it indefinitely, she would have been reversed by the 11th Circuit Court of Appeal and likely would have had the case taken away from her.
2: OK, so in, in with that in mind, having the case taken away from her is a pretty big deal. But what kind of uh, appeal will we see or what mechanism does uh, the Trump team have to push back on this?
4: There is a hearing a month before when it uh, the May date to talk about the uh, the admissibility of these classified documents. He's going to file a series of motions to dismiss, to challenge Evan Corcoran's notes, the attorney-client privilege protected notes that were pierced that uh, the government got because of the crime fraud exception. Mm -hmm. So he's going to challenge that. Uh, He's going to go document by document to try to challenge the admissibility. So there are plenty of reasons for Judge Kennedy to delay matters further if she wanted to. Um, We'll see. But I think so far, the ruling she made today was pretty normal. I I don't think she has shown any overt bias towards him I think last year when she made those rulings that were really criticized, that was a bridge too far for the appellate courts and for people like me who thought that she was uh, she was showing bias. Now, I think she is uh, back within the margins,
2: Huh? maybe trying to make up for it. Uh, I mean, should a Florida judge be mindful of the primary campaign schedule?
4: Well, she said she's not. In fact, she overtly in in the order said that she was not. She has no
2: obligation to, though, is the point. Right, Dave?
4: Right. I think that she knows if she if she invoked politics, it's more likely that she'll be reversed if she does her makes her decisions based on the quantity of documents and the need for the defense counsel to review the documents. And also you have a federal law, there, SEPA, which requires certain clearances. And if she just makes her ruling based On that and not based on politics, I think she won't be reversed and she can keep delaying this pretty much beyond the election. But uh, Mm. the moment she steps into politics, it sets off a lot of alarm bells, and I think, uh, puts her rulings in jeopardy.
2: Wow. There's a lot on the line here, obviously, uh, Dave. And if you look at at the Bloomberg terminal today, you find a story with the headline Trump could face up to six trials during primary election season, it would be difficult for most Americans to actually identify all six of these. That's how much legal action he's facing here. Which are you watching most closely? Is it this classified documents case?
4: Yeah, of the six, there are a couple that are civil trials like the E. Jean Carroll trial that's coming back again because Trump wow. keeps repeating the same uh, lines about her. But of the four criminal cases, those are the ones I'm following most closely because they're the ones that have the ability to deprive Trump of his freedom. So of those four cases, I would rank him, Joe, as the following from strongest to least strong. and number one is the mar-a-lago documents case they've got him on that one i mean there is no defense trump doesn't have a defense he hasn't stated a defense other than he declassified the documents but that's debunked by that recording from bedminster so i think that's gonna be the biggest problem for trump uh the second one will be the funny willis case in in uh, atlanta the one where he says on tape find me eleven thousand seven hundred and eighty votes That's pretty powerful evidence against him, and it looks like they may even charge him with RICO, racketeering, which we know from the mobster movies, but it's not just for the mafia anymore. Uh, Third, I would rank the January 6th case that's coming. That, though, I think is the most important case because it involves the attempted overthrow of our democracy, but the evidence there is not as strong as the other two cases, in my opinion. And then fourth is the New York case, which may, ironically, Joe, go first. That's set for March, uh, two months before the Mar-a-Lago documents case.
2: You talk about the RICO charge, to think that a former president could be put away on the same charge that they got Buddy Cianci on in Providence, Rhode Island, is pretty incredible here. Uh, But with all of that said, thank you, by the way. I didn't even have to ask you to rank them, Dave. That was actually pretty incredible and and informative. Uh, With that said, you're closest to the sun down there in Florida. Do you have a guess on when that trial begins?
4: Well, other than May 20th, I think, uh, I still think that it is more likely than not that this trial occurs after the election. Now, for those who say that, well, that means Trump will not face the music, he's going to get away with it. No, I actually think it is more likely that the upcoming January 6th election interference case that the feds are about to file will go first. Mm -hmm. And I think it goes first because you don't have complicated classified Uh, uh, documents at play. You don't have the SEPA law at play that requires lawyers to get clearances. And the setting there, the venue will be in Washington, D.C., where they're used to these kinds of cases. They've already had hundreds of cases filed about this. And you have a Washington, D.C. judge who's not going to put up with any shenanigans from the defendant. They're going to want to get this case done fast. So my bet is you're going to see the Washington, D.C. case go before the Mar-a-Lago documents matter.
2: Fascinating. This is great from Dave Ehrenberg, the Palm Beach County State Attorney. Dave, lastly, you mentioned the case in Georgia. Uh, For a long time, folks were predicting that would drop if there is an indictment. Fulton County would drop in August. Do you think that's true?
4: Absolutely. And and Bonnie Wilson said it's going to happen in late July or early August. It's happening. And you know how I know, Joe, it's because she said that the People in the security apparatus in the area need to be prepared for like a major announcement. Well, what do you think that is? Obviously, it's going to be Donald Trump's indictment. I mean, it's not going to be an announcement of Rudy Giuliani's indictment. I mean, he's not a big deal anymore, Uh, although I do think he'll be indicted with Trump. But clearly, she's preparing people for the indictment of the former president. At the time she made the announcement, it would have been the first ever indictment of a former president. But now it's like old hat at this point.
2: Unbelievable. Really enjoy the time uh, whenever you have it. Dave Ehrenberg, thanks for coming back to see us. Palm Beach County State Attorney with us on Bloomberg Radio. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington. Let's assemble the panel. I can only imagine what Rick and Jeannie think about this. Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis. Uh, Rick, you've been uh, obviously tied to more than one presidential campaign. You've managed a presidential campaign. What in the world would you do if there was a trial that dropped here in the middle to the end of May, right in the throes of... Of primary voting,
5: yeah, no. The complexity of this situation it transcends anything anybody in politics has ever seen. I mean, look, the 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 the, the primary schedule, the caucus schedule, on its own, is got a complexity. And then when you add debates to that, that adds to the complexity. And then when you add fundraising to that, that you know, where you candidates got to move all around the country to pick up the dough to do all this. That adds complexity to it, and then any controversy or, or crisis, you know, campaign shut down to deal with that. That adds complexity, and then you overlay that with multiple jurisdictions around the country in states. By the way, you are not actively campaigning in where you have to show up, or your can, or your lawyers have to show up to try cases, and the amount of time that the candidate himself has to invest in dealing with his lawyers on strategy and testimony and whatnot. It's far beyond anything you would normally see happen in a campaign and has to affect the viability of the Trump campaign just by being distracted to
2: this level. Who does this advantage, Jeannie?
6: Well, you know, when you think about the fact that he could really be the presumptive nominee if this trial goes forward in May, which I doubt because this is really like when you hire a contractor and they say it's going to take six months and it becomes 18. I have, I really don't think this trial is going to go forward in May. But if he did, if it did, rather, he would be the pres. he could be the presumptive nominee. Um, and, and that is really, really damaging to the Republican Party, who's then going to have to go into a convention with this. Um, but I think we're still a long way off you know as much as as we look and he's so far ahead there is no universe in which you are applying for any job let alone to be president of the United States and four indictments and six trials are your calling card so I I still hold out hope that this is not going to be who the Republicans end Mm -hmm. up with but at this point it is you know all the damage to the Republican Party if this goes forward.
2: I want to turn you to uh, it's a very quick video that uh, Donald Trump retweeted from MAGA MAGA dot com. He re, say tweeted. What am I saying, Janie? He retruthed it. Uh, this is a nine <laughs> second video. I had to bleep it to play it on the air. It's fully produced. What you see is a black and white image of his eyes and just the top of his nose. Essentially, you imagine a sort of. Like a Marvel bad guy scene, it's in black and white, and this is what you hear. Again, I had to bleep what he's saying. If you f***
3: around with us, if you do something bad to us, we are going to do things to you that have never been done before.
2: If you f*** as you heard around with us, we're going to do things to you that have never been done before. What in the world is going on here, Rick?
5: No, oh, uh, it's anybody's guess. Uh, Donald Trump has made all kinds of threats along the lines of these prosecutions that have actually not resulted in much. I don't discount the threat that he is to society. Um, we've seen, you know, what he was able to conjure up on January 6 uh, in 2020, but. The reality is he said you know we got to hit the streets we got to do this stuff when he was getting prosecuted in new york and and generally speaking other than sort of uh curiosity seekers nobody showed up um you know we haven't seen the kind of stampede around these big legal uh uh, events that you would have otherwise sought the militias and people that we know are partial to uh donald trump so Um, I I don't want to I don't want to diminish it. Uh, It's obviously, you know, a dog whistle for violence. Um, Mm -hmm. But I'm just wondering if uh, all these prosecutions on January 6th perpetrators uh, have maybe dulled the movement a bit. And, you know, Uh people think twice about hitting the streets before, you know, whenever Donald Trump asked them to.
2: It's a great question. Uh, Jeannie, you wrote a column recently that we talked about an opinion piece on how the, the more indictments we get, in, it could mean the less impact because they start to become noise and it's easy to call them weaponizing the DOJ and so forth. But when you hear or see something like that, it's kind of scary. Uh, is he trying to mobilize the MAGA base so he can keep raising money or is he actually trying to get someone to do something stupid?
6: I think he's trying to get exactly what he got on January 6th, exactly what he called for with a stand back, stand by to the Proud Boys. He is trying to do that again. This is all a part of his, uh, you know, sort of quest to say that you are either with the Biden, as he calls it, DOJ, weaponized DOJ, or you are with me. Um, You know, and I do hope that Rick is right, because we did see the indictments in Manhattan and Miami when he called for similar protests. And just about the only one who showed up besides a few, you know, interested parties was Marjorie Taylor Greene. And she left promptly because she was by herself.
2: A great Dive with Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis, Bloomberg Politics contributors. This is Bloomberg.
7: Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way from design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions. July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor Amazon. Official airline Alaska Airlines. Get 20 off using. Promo code radio20 at slash green festival.
8: You're
1: listening to the Bloomberg Sound On Podcast. Catch the program live weekdays at 1 Eastern on Bloomberg Radio, the TuneIn app, bloomberg.com, and the Bloomberg Business app. You can also listen live on Amazon Alexa from our flagship New York station. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130.
2: We talked yesterday, we took a deep dive on AI. Yes. And I guess that was a prescient conversation because today the White House is having a conversation about AI. I'm just not sure what's going to come of it.
9: Yeah, we were talking yesterday about how the speed of AI technology is very rapid. It's moving very quickly. Mm -hmm. The speed of the Washington response to it seems to be moving a little bit slower. But President Biden seems like he's trying to kick into gear. He gave remarks earlier this afternoon. He says he's going to work with both parties to try to get legislation and regulation done it's just a question of timing joe
2: well that's true and he spoke to those rapid changes a short time ago
3: we'll see more technology change in the next 10 years or even in the next few years than we've seen in the last 50 years that has been an astounding revelation to me quite frankly artificial intelligence is going to transform the lives of people around the world the group here will be critical in shepherding that innovation with responsibility and safety by design
2: to earn the trust of Americans. That group here, as he puts it, is quite the list. Amazon, Alphabet, Meta, Microsoft, OpenAI, mm-hmm. a couple of fledgling companies you may have heard of. <laughs>
9: yeah, fledgling.
2: Uh, and you know your favorite buzzword, safeguards? i mm-hmm. heard that a lot of times today, and they're voluntary, so there are questions about whether this actually adds up to anything. I'm guessing Senator Cassidy has an opinion on that.
9: I would guess so as well.
2: The gentleman from Louisiana is with us, Senator Bill Cassidy. Welcome back to Bloomberg hey Joe, Radio. Well, I, absolutely. So I mean, I think talk- of you as a doctor, so you're smarter than I am already. Do you understand how AI works and, and how Washington should address it?
3: Well, um, I one, thanks for the compliment. Probably not true. <laughs> the um, I don't understand how AI works. Well, I do in the sense that. Imagine that you could simultaneously or almost simultaneously be able to analyze whatever had been exposed to you in your life at the same time. From the time that you were in first grade and you remember the young girl across the way when she dropped her pencil, how she picked it up, all the way to the conversation that we're having now. Now, if we can think about that simultaneously almost, being able to integrate all that information, that's how I think of AI. Now, of course, your experiences have been basically pretty benign. AI obviously has the potential to take that and allow somebody with bad intention to deny, to, to, to totally violate somebody's privacy, uh, as one example, to violate a whole nation's privacy, as another example, to be able to penetrate into your secrets, to begin to form how you think by nudging you in a variety of ways that you don't even know about. But, it also has the ability to find cures for mm-hmm. diseases that would otherwise take decades to find, but it would do it within months
9: okay, so Senator, what I'm kind of hearing from you is that there is reason to be excited about this technology, but there also maybe is reason to fear it
2: yeah. I'm not sure.
9: Well,
3: my gosh, it's like, you know, somebody once said you could write an article how the Internet is the greatest thing in the world, and you could write an article how the Internet is the worst thing in the world. So so the AI is really is a tool, and how do we use the tool? Uh, and that's where I think Washington potentially has a role, not to try and put a straitjacket on it, but rather just to make sure that we protect you, me, and all of us from the excesses of the technology.
2: If Washington can't figure out crypto, never mind what to do with social media, though, Senator? Should we be waiting around for a legislative solution here, or are we just happy talking?
3: Joe, that's a great—that's a great critique, uh, and that is a challenge. But this is moving fast, and I think there's an awareness among my colleagues uh, that that we need to do something. And by the way, it is so new, no one has their partisan camp. So I'd like to think that we can actually. Um, put politics aside, accomplish something, again, because nobody has a partisan camp. This is this is something which is just kind of dawning on us. It's been around for a while, uh, been around for a long time, kind of. But in terms of the implications, uh, th- th- those are just becoming apparent now.
9: And we've had a lot of conversations, uh, Senator, with many people on this program about AI and its use in defense and the concerns around that. Just on the subject of defense, I know AI is is part of that conversation. But the NDAA, Senator, are you concerned about funding the Pentagon? How do you see this all shaking out at the end of the day?
3: Well, I'm not concerned about funding the Pentagon. Uh, the Pentagon assures us that they are trying to uh, use AI in a responsible fashion. Now, you might think that's oxymoronic. How does a Department of Defense use something? Uh, won't they seek every every edge they can? But, um, uh, but for example, um, you might have AI be able to do an analysis of somebody who is an enemy that you would want to take out But AI also tells you that if you attack the enemy at the location where she currently is, she's next to a hospital, and do you really want to damage the hospital? And AI would give you feedback, no, this is not what you wish to do right now. So there is a way to build AI in a way that preserves our values. It can also say, well, wait a second, Uh, over in this location – Now, you can't really see it, except maybe we've picked up some signal intelligence. Yes, we've verified it. There is a unit which is guiding this component of the battlefield, uh, and you take that out selectively. That would be good AI, if you will, in the context of war. So uh, I think that there is, you know, a real promise, but also I see how values can be instilled in your application. Yeah. uh,
2: Kaylee refers— to an important uh, concern though, Senator, and that's the the the, the debate over the National uh, Defense Authorization Act, which has been bogged down in a, in a back and forth over social issues and the abortion policy at the Pentagon, among other things, diversity issues. You're taking a really different path in the Senate, at least your colleagues are, than the House did. Do you think that becomes law? I do think that the one,
3: put it this way, Nothing passes in the current Congress unless you have Democrats and Republicans both supporting it. Uh, and if you just look at the dynamics, Democrats control the Senate, Republicans the House. The House is going to – product is going to reflect uh, Republican concerns. The the, the the Senate product, because you need Republicans to support it but you still have a Democratic leader, will probably be a little bit more – I hate to say it this way, but you know what I mean – plain vanilla. It will be more limited to actually what the – Uh, traditional NDAA budget looks like. Not defending that, not saying it's good, not saying it's bad. That's just what it's going to look like. Then it goes back to the House and probably gets passed on the House side.
2: Hmm. That was easy.
9: Okay. yeah, it seems like it might be uh, ultimately easier said than done. As we talk about the NDAA and the social issues kind of working their way into uh, the defense of the U.S., President Biden was just speaking, urging the Senate to approve the outstanding military nomination, saying Uh, Senator, what Senator Tuberville is doing isn't only wrong, but dangerous. Are we getting to dangerous territory with now hundreds of these promotions held up, Senator?
3: Well, I suspect the people whose promotions are being held up are still, still doing their duty, still taking their oath seriously to support and defend the Constitution of the United States. Are they being denied advancement? Yes. And obviously that's the rub. Now, if I were to channel Senator Tuberville, he would say that the spirit of this is that the Pentagon is not supposed to be paying for abortions, uh, but instead they're giving people paid leave in order to go get abortions. Uh, that's his position. There's, certain, there's a certain kind of, okay, that makes sense, kind of. So um, I'm not sure quite how it's going to resolve. I think he wants to vote on the issue. Uh, I think Senator Schumer, the leader of the Senate, is offering him a vote with some conditions, I think we'll probably work this out. I'm not party to that conversation, but I think we will.
2: We were talking a moment ago, Senator, about the NDAA, and I know that last time you were here we discussed your America's Act, which has an eye on competition with China. When you have an opportunity to bring amendments, will that be part of the bill?
3: No, the America's Act won't be part of NDAA, but we are working on it. And just to summarize, the United States has not had a coherent policy to the Western Hemisphere since John F. Kennedy. And every four years or eight years, depending on how often a president, how long a president serves, we kind of lurch back and forth. But most of the time we lurch is to some sort of incoherent policy, which is fully fo- followed through. Why important? Because China is making incursions into Latin America, and even independently of China, but somewhat related, there's, there is a turn towards economic um, turmoil leading to political autocracies, and that is unleashing millions of people coming from Central and South America into the United States. We've got to start unwinding that. Our America's Act uh, uses American values, the possibility of trade, elevating living, living standards to the benefit of, of those of us in the United States to those of us who are in Latin America. In a way which um, goes after corruption, encourages investment, encourages trade, um, and encourages meeting human needs in the United States. Uh, We've got bipartisan support. Michael Bennett, my co-lead, the senator from Colorado, we're building out more support. We need a coherent policy. We think the America's Act is that coherent policy.
9: All right, Senator, I'm so glad we had some time to speak with you on substantive policy today. But just given the day that it is, this Friday, ahead of a weekend of a double feature movie marathon for many moviegoers, <laughs> would you like to weigh in on the Senate debate of Oppenheimer versus Barbie, Senator? Well,
3: you know, I'm kind of, a, I'm kind of an Oppenheimer kind of guy. Uh, and all my daughters are a little bit old for Barbie. Uh, so uh, I'll probably go with Oppenheimer. Uh, <laughs> okay. But, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of a fun debate.
2: I thought the answer, Senator, I thought the right answer was both. That's what I thought you were going to (laughs) say. Well, you know, i got to be
3: honest. Anybody that (laughs) looks
2: at what I do in life would say,
3: not really a Barbie guy.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. Senator, thanks for coming in. And I hope things are well in Louisiana. Republican Senator Bill Cassidy with us here on Bloomberg Sound On.
0: The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers, and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights, and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at Qatar Economic Forum.com.
1: You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On Podcast. Catch us live weekdays at 1 Eastern on Bloomberg.com, the iHeartRadio app, and the Bloomberg Business app. Or listen on demand wherever you get your podcasts. Interesting, uh, the idea of a no labels or unity candidate.
2: We started the week with this conversation on Monday, Kaylee, when Joe Manchin and John Huntsman went to New Hampshire. Yep. The idea that maybe half of the electorate, according to one poll this week, might consider voting for a third party candidate. And everyone's in a lather about this and who it might impact if it happens. We talked to uh, Pat McCrory, the former governor of North Carolina. He's national co-chair of No Labels. And he made a little bit of news. He told us they were going to wait till Super Tuesday to decide if they were going to run a candidate. And he doesn't buy the conventional wisdom, as we heard.
3: The historians are all saying, the pundit historians are all going, well, there's no way a third party could win. Well, there's never been a circumstance where the two parties... And the leading candidates have been so far uh, disconnected with the majority of American people. Yeah. And, you know, people are looking for, I think right now, a voice of common sense, a voice of leadership, a a voice of bringing people together.
2: But it's interesting how the the whole idea changes when you put a name on it, doesn't it?
9: Yes. Yeah. Well, at least it does, according to this Monmouth University poll that Mm -hmm. came out yesterday. In you a, could have a
2: generic situation. In a
9: generic situation, you have 30% of people that were polled that would definitely or probably support a third-party ticket.
2: Which sounds significant, right? And that's what we've kind of known until now.
9: Right. Then you make that third-party ticket, <laughs> Mansion and Hudson, and uh, 2% would definitely support that ticket. 14% probably would. So mm-hmm. it is, what, half the yeah.
2: number? And 44% definitely, definitely not. would not. So maybe something called candidate quality does matter in this case as well. It changes the entire picture. But that's the problem with a lot of hypotheticals when you look at the, the generic matchup or so. It, it doesn't really tell us a lot. And that's why we wanted to spend some time with Ryan Teek. Beckwith, Bloomberg, politics reporter, you no know, stranger to polls, or this particular story even. Again, you mentioned this is Monmouth University, and they did this uh, quite recently here, July 12th to seventeen. Uh, Good to see you, Ryan. This is not an an unusual phenomenon in in polling when you put something generic up against an actual name.
8: This is an idea that uh, uh, people love. They love the idea, just as they used to love the idea of an outsider businessman running for president Uh. Um, until you put a (laughs) name on it. And in fact, I would point out that it has happened before – Abraham Lincoln chose Andrew Johnson, a Southern Democrat, mm-hmm. and ran as a unity party ticket, not as a Republican, for re-election and, uh, and, and won. It may have helped him win. I, I don't yeah. really know because it's hard to go back and see what made right. someone win way back then. But it was also an unmitigated disaster. Andrew Johnson showed up drunk to his own vice presidential inauguration <laughs> and turned out to be one of the worst presidents in history. But, but.
2: But I got him <laughs> the away, idea,
8: Got him over the finish <laughs> line. Go wrong. The, uh, the idea is attractive, and people like that. The problem is, uh, and, and, and John McCain thought about this. He really wanted to yes. have Joe Lieberman. Right. But as soon as you get down to brass tacks and you start saying, "Well, OK, what, how would people from the one party respond to Joe Lieberman being the mm-hmm. vice president?: Not a chance.: It, 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 it just becomes hard. It just becomes really hard, and especially for the exact reasons that they're citing that we're so polarized. Um, and I found that interesting in the poll. They asked, would you vote for uh, Joe Manchin with uh, John Huntsman as his running mate? And then they also flipped it and said, would you vote mm-hmm. for John Huntsman with Joe Manchin as running mate? And it didn't really change it. And I think if you're if you're talking about uh, – flipping the two candidates like that in that order it, yep. it should right like it should matter with so i think that's the kind of person that they tend to come up with who could run for a no labels thing on a unity ticket tends to be a kind of uh centrist of a certain mm-hmm. sort who turns off uh, a lot of voters too. I mean, I, I, I know we kind of tend to think of centrism as like common sense and everyone loves centrism, but actually a lot of people don't like centrism mm-hmm. when it's not on the thing that they want. So the other problem here is age. So the people who are the most likely to vote for a third party candidate are the people who've had the least experience voting for one party or the other. Um, so the the younger voters, mm-hmm. the the people who are first voting are the ones who are really open to like a Ralph Nader in two thousand, and they and they did because they're not accustomed to always punching that lever for one party or the other, and they're a little bit less into the real politic of like I can't let the other guy win that would be a disaster. Mm-hmm. So, you're if you're trying to think of like who would like twenty year olds who are. You know, maybe thinking of uh, flirting with a third party. Most likely to support, it's not Joe Manchin. Mm-hmm. I don't know. How, I don't know. It's just not, uh-huh. and it's not John Huntsman, who hasn't even been in politics in their living memory. Uh, you know, that these are not people that are thinking back to like, oh, yeah, John Huntsman, he had that motorcycle. Well, it's, it's
2: funny, too, yeah. Kaylee, because they're not really they're terribly popular with their own parties. Either, right. So. Right.
9: No, it's yeah. a very good point. But I mean, I understand, Ryan, if we're talking about this isn't a ticket that would win is the question we should be asking. Is it a ticket that could take enough support from either side to shift what ultimately would be the outcome of the election? I mean, if we're talking 16 percent here in this Monmouth poll, mm-hmm. does that 16 percent come from the left come from the right? Isn't that the real question?
8: I think that the concern among Democrats has been that a Joe Manchin type third party candidate who could peel off those sort of soft Republicans um, who just didn't like Trump, Mm -hmm. uh, who just couldn't bring themselves to vote for Trump, and liked Biden because he was sort of a middle of the road familiar face, um, that they would be the ones who'd be who would peel away um, and and that's certainly possible i thought weirdly this poll showed biden still winning even with a, a mansion uh, in there and um, i it, i don't know because the dynamic is so weird i think as, as uh, governor McCrory pointed out mm-hmm. like these are two very unpopular candidates and most people who are going to be voting in 2024, if they are the nominees, uh, are going to be voting against one of them, not for And they
2: all wish they had someone else.
8: Yeah, and so putting someone else up and saying, oh, well, you could vote for this person, (laughs) but it might make the person that you most don't want to win, win. Right. I don't know that 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 has the same – uh, I, I don't know that that changes your calculus. This I also
2: know. runs a little bit against the grain of that, that a unity candidate or a no labels candidate would only come out of Biden's mm-hmm. lead. It's kind of a wash when you look at this poll, right? Or at least it would be less yeah, decisive. I thought this than
8: poll was, was, was so somewhat reassuring for Democrats Isn't that, that, something? that this might not be. But everyone be...
2: thinks they have this figured out already, even though we're not even talking about a candidate, which oh, is yeah. it's kind I of mean... funny.
8: This is all – we, we also had a story today about, oh, they're planning for a contested convention. Yes, right. And that – every
7: four years <laughs> every we four
2: have this, years. like, oh, maybe there'll be every, a third-party guy. And we one. all wish it would be true.
8: Maybe there'll <laughs> be a contested convention, and, so, and it's not going to
2: happen. Earlier in the week, we talked to Mick Mulvaney about this idea. He had really specific thoughts on this, Kaylee, the idea of a third-party candidate, mm-hmm. former congressman, former acting, of yeah. course, White House chief of staff.
9: He did, and it was a thought we've heard before. He thinks The Rock, as in Dwayne The Rock Johnson, right. could potentially be a viable presidential he candidate in the Oprah future. He mentioned Oprah
2: as well. He did. Those were the two. Here's how he put it. I don't think,
3: and I've told him this, so I'm not I am not, I'm not breaking new ground here, that unless Pat they go McFurray's. with somebody outside of politics, an Oprah Winfrey, a Dwayne The Rock Johnson, somebody like that, I, I don't think they have a chance of winning. But they certainly have a chance of influencing the outcome.
2: Uh-huh. That's what, what I'm talking about. Imagine cool. this campaign event. Ryan T Beckwith, with, can you smell what The Rock is cooking?
8: You know, I actually have written about this because The Rock um, loves to, of course, periodically say this. that maybe he might run for president one day, <laughs> and um, and you know you can't like dismiss these things anymore because Trump played that card for like twenty mm-hmm. years, every four years, Trump That's would right. say maybe he Just was going like to run no and one wouldn't actually it would do it. Happen. Um, and the and so I I went through to try to see like what has the rock ever said about any political issue and he's basically uh, like you would get a more of a political platform out of a Hallmark greeting card <laughs> oh, well, you, know, you know it's he really um, he's very smart in that this that he says basically nothing while maybe sounding like he's sort of saying something and. And he always get that, could the rock run for president headline? If you Google that, you will literally find six stories with that exact <laughs> headline. Um, you know, so who knows? He's so He's been to, I think, if I recall correctly, he's been to both the Republican and Democratic yeah, conventions. Yeah, that's right. At Don't even times. know what party.
2: See, he's made for this. He did
9: right. endorse Biden in 2020.
8: That's yeah. a good point. Most that was recently. a different message, absolutely. But I think that the uh, the. The problem would be that everybody loves The Rock until yeah. he starts saying what he thinks about abortion. Mm. And also, I oh, mean, right. I think if you look at his movies, he doesn't want to be disliked by anyone. Right. That's he never true. plays the villain. Right. He doesn't. He, he plays the same. Well,
2: not anymore. That's, you <laughs> yeah. know, the old You thing. will go
8: one,
0: yes. on one <laughs> with, with the, the great one. one. Ryan
2: Teague Beckwith, thank <laughs> you for coming to see us. We do that this every done. week with Ryan. I love this conversation. Bloomberg politics reporter.
1: Forgive me, Kaylee. You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On Podcast. Catch the program live weekdays at 1 Eastern on Bloomberg Radio, the TuneIn app, Bloomberg.com, and the Bloomberg Business app. You can also listen live on Amazon Alexa from our flagship New York station. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130.
2: We've just got numbers on Barbie. This is huge. This is big business, right? here. That's a big number. $22.3
9: Twenty-two point three million dollars just in early screenings.
2: That's before the weekend. Yes. Twenty-two point three million. That's, that puts it ahead of Guardians of the Galaxy, Top Gun. Yeah. These are the biggest grossing. So is it? The, it's already the biggest grossing movie of the year if it continues on that track.
9: Yeah, it could be. Incredible. And just to put this in context, because of course this isn't just Barbie's weekend, Joe. <laughs> well, no, it's we Barbenheimer know, weekend. No, we know this. Oppenheimer brought in ten point five million dollars. Wow, on Thursday less evening.
2: than half Barbie. Yeah. I guess, well, geez, the whole Barbenheimer double feature thing was supposedly going to help Oppenheimer, so we'll see if she can wear off. And it's been a big yeah. topic of conversation here in Washington. And Strangely, I'm... in the Senate, for some reason, Indeed. They're, they're obsessed with Barbenheimer, which one you are, right? You, mm-hmm. If you just scroll the memes on Twitter, and of course you had to ask Senator Bill Cassidy this. Yes. The Republican from Louisiana.
9: Well, hey,
3: you, you know, i got to be honest. Anybody that looks at what I do in life would say, not really a Barbie guy.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, but he said he was open to it. Last evening on Balance of Power, we talked to uh, Senator Warner, Senator Mark Warner, Democrat Mm -hmm. from Virginia, who had already posted his meme of him as Oppenheimer. I work in the only place in America being a gang member is a
4: good thing, means I'm part of every bipartisan group. So I can go from (laughs) my aspirational,
3: you know, coolness of Barbie... Of the hard choices you have to make as Oppenheimer.
2: So wow. sign me up wow. for the double feature. He really thought that through, didn't he? He did. I mean, That seriously. is a
9: politician speaking, Joe.
2: Uh, absolutely, yes. I don't know how this creeped. The staff members must be obsessed with this because I feel like the lawmakers are just sort of trying to catch up. Yeah. Are you going gonna to see it this weekend? Do we have a plan?
9: <sighs> I'm going to try. You're
2: going to try to see, bar- but not both of them. No,
9: I, I the do point. want to see both. I not- just don't know if I can do it. It's over three back.
2: hours long, The Oppenheimer.
9: Yeah, I'm not but, sure but how the National of Association the of Theater Owners thinks 200,000 people will see both on the same day. <gasps>
2: That's weird.
9: Is this Aqua? Here? Well, I, mean, girl,
2: I know where you're coming from, <laughs> Kaylee Lyons.
9: <laughs> I am beaming from ear to ear in the studio. All
2: right, we're throwing this to New York next. With apologies to the Business Week crew, I'll beat you, Kaylee, later on Balance of Power on Bloomberg TV. In the meantime, enjoy the earworm. Thanks for listening to the Sound On Podcast. Make sure to subscribe if you haven't already at Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. And you can find us live every weekday from Washington, D.C. at 1 p.m. Eastern Time at Bloomberg.com.